0: And good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition live from the great American Southwest and the land of enchantment north of Albuquerque, New Mexico. We have a very interesting, I was going to use the word difficult, but I don't think we ought to, you know, prejudice the jury. How's that for a a neat segue? Uh, We're going to try to talk about tonight in a civil and a higher level fashion than probably 99.9% of what you've seen in the last week of commentary on the Trump indictment, about something which has never happened in the history of the United States. It's happened all over the world in, in major and minor democracies, what we've been seeing this week in terms of the 45th president of the United States is not unusual. Uh, Public officials are uh, uh, arraigned, are indicted, go through trials all the time. I'm going to be talking tonight with some very interesting people. Uh, We're gonna have Marvin Jones with us. Marvin, as you know, is our resident citizen historian with a special emphasis on the founders the framers, the workings behind the scenes around the writing of the Constitution of the United States way back 200 and almost 247 years ago now. In a couple of months in July, we will come up on the 247th year. We're going to have Rick Levine with us because, ironically, Rick kind of pinpointed what we're going to talk about tonight in a very interesting way. Rick, of course, is a... uh, Global, uh, world class hyperdimensional astrologer. And uh, when we get a little closer, I will introduce with more specifics. We've got Georgia Lambert with us, who is our resident metaphysician, because part of what I want to talk about is the reason for the existence of the United States itself. I'm seeing a whole cacophony of events that appear on the surface to be kind of brilliantly and clearly differentiated and not connected. And what I'd like to try to do tonight is to draw some lines, some as it's very uh, apropos now on the mainstream media to talk about Venn diagrams. Well, we're going to talk about the Venn diagram of the creation of the United States and this unique time in planetary and solar system history in which these events, these uh, Uh, you know, obvious sequential activities that appear separate are in fact taking place, and we're going to ask the question, are they in fact at a deeper level connected? Um, What I'd like to do is to uh, begin tonight with uh, uh, Rick, but before we do that, I want to call your attention to a feature, which if you're new to the other side of midnight, you may not be... uh, Uh, aware of what we have here. We call uh, this section Radio with Pictures. And what we do is we have a section of the website where you can find images or links or videos or background reference material. So when we're off the air and you're listening uh, uh, to Club 19.5, you can look through these documents, through these links, through, uh, like tomorrow night we'll have a couple images, And then you can gain, of course, background information that goes beyond the limits of the three hours that we have been, or will have been, at the end of this morning discussing these. So, uh, without further ado, let me introduce uh, our players. I think we're missing Marvin. Keith, am I correct? We're missing Marvin? And I'm not hearing anything. I know why. There we are. Open the mic. I know, I know, I know, I know. Everybody's here. Actually, oh, Marvin is here. Excellent. Excellent. Barbara
1: is also here. Here's Barbara. Hi.
0: You were missed. Okay, so let me try to do this in some logical fashion, okay? Um, Marvin is a very interesting guy. He is, uh, a, as I said, a citizen historian, and he has been involved with heavy research into the founders For a very long time um when president kennedy offered a history lesson in real time way back when marvin watched the press conferences state of the union addresses and other speeches but jfk's decision to go to the moon on the basis of 15 minutes worth of space flight experience that was the famed alan shepard uh up and down ballistic flight back in 1961 Uh, captured Marvin's imagination, and in fact, it still does. He has ever since been reading, listening to historians, journalists, politicians, digging into ancient tomes, and it's become a real habit, a habit which he says cannot be broken. When it comes to Marvin's family, uh, they've served in every branch of the armed forces, although predominantly army, as was he. Because American involvement in Vietnam was winding down, Marvin was sent to what was then West Germany, and upon return to the States, he finished what he began overseas at the University of Maryland University College, receiving a bachelor's degree in government. Uh, Rick Levine, as I said a moment ago, is uh, a very interesting guy. He is a professional astrologer since uh, 1976 which would make it um, an even-numbered year after the founding of the United States. He has become a respected leader in the global astrological community. He is past president of the Washington State Astrology Association, co-founder of stariq.com, a founding trustee of Kepler College, and co-author of eight years of Barnes & Noble's annual Your Astrology Guide. He also has all kinds of other credits, so if you want to go and read about any of these people, just go to the bio section of The Other Side of Midnight on the guest page and just scroll on down. Uh, Georgia Lambert, as I said a moment ago, is our kind of resident metaphysician. She spent over 10 years with Manley Hall there in Los Angeles at a very, very interesting location. Um and it was at that with that group um which was I'm trying to remember the name of the group uh unfortunately I'm 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 having a brain whatever. Um, the philosophical research society. The philosophical research society. Thank you dear. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. So she is well backgrounded in some of the more interesting things we're going to talk about tonight. Barbara Honiger is with us. Barbara uh served as a high-level government Uh, advisor in positions including the White House policy analyst, special assistant to the president for domestic policy, director of the Attorney General's Law Review at the Department of Justice, and for more than a decade was senior military affairs journalist at the prestigious Naval Postgraduate School, the premier science, technology, and national security affairs research university of the Department of Defense. More recently, she's been heavily involved with the 9-11 Inquiry, the Lawyers' Committee for 9-11 Truth, and uh, is in fact co-chairman of the board. And I'm missing a whole bunch of stuff. She's got the first degree in parapsychology from uh, JFK University there in Northern California. And there's a whole bunch more. Again, if you want all the specifics and details, just go to the bio section of each of our guests on the other side of midnight. I'd like to start with you, Ron, because really you're kind of, you're kind of at fault for why you know, we're here. You said several weeks ago, I think it was in the second um, of Things to Come broadcast we did maybe a couple of months ago now, that there was going to be a major set of events occurring sometime around the end of March, beginning of April, if I'm, if I'm correct in my memory. Well, in the last week alone, sticking only to the political vein of the founding of the United States, which is our kind of theme tonight, we've had in the last few days alone the first indictment of a former president of the United States on criminal charges. We've had the election in a very uh, red state-oriented Supreme Court In the state of Wisconsin, we have a dramatic break, which occurred on Tuesday with the election of a liberal uh, judge to the bench for the first time in, I believe, 15 years. And of course, that appointment is now going to influence both debates in abortion, in voting rights, in gerrymandering. It's a very, very non-trivial development in the national political scene. Because, of course, one of the uh, uh, things we're going to talk about tonight is the ex-45th president is declared now to be running again for the Republican nomination to be president of the United States in 2024. And because gerrymandering is a major part of the legislative process in too many states, and it has been said typically that there was a blue wall between the election of a Republican president and a Democratic president represented by Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. With this recent election in Wisconsin, um, all of the assessments of uh, uh, President Trump's previous election obviously now are up for grabs and anything can happen. It's in basketball parlance, having just finished March Madness, um, it's kind of like a jump ball. Um, nothing is written, nothing is foreordained, and at some level, I'm going to get into this a little later when I you know, can talk to my guests individually, I almost have a feeling that we're going through some kind of testing time for the robust nature of the American Republic. And I'll get into more specifics and some of the things that I see as indicators as we move through the morning. If it were not, enough to have those three major political, I'm sorry, two major political developments. There also was this week a third one taking place in Memphis, Tennessee, where a few days ago, there was a very tragic um, shooting, another mass shooting, three nine-year-old kids and three adults attached to the school, the Covenant School there in Memphis, uh, were shot by an intruder wielding three weapons, two of which uh, were high-powered assault rifle type of weapons. And it turns out that this was a mental patient. She had, despite her family's wishes and her doctor's, she had somehow managed to purchase seven weapons, and they were at her home when the police obviously began the checking on uh, who the shooter was, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Well, in the wake of that mass tragedy in Memphis, there were there was a contingent, a huge contingent, of high school and grammar school and college students who turned out en masse to basically petition the state government of the state of Tennessee for redress of grievances. In this case, for something in legislation which would limit curtail and hopefully uh, eliminate uh, such mass shootings, at least in Tennessee in the future. And it was in the process of those demonstrations that three of the legislative members from the Democratic side joined with the demonstrators and for a few minutes uh, went to the floor of the legislature of of the House of Representatives there in Tennessee, and actually did protests on the floor, for which they were brought up on charges, the three legislative members on the Democratic side, and after a very bizarre kind of quasi-kangaroo court trial, which did not have the trappings of any real inquiry into guilt or innocence of any laws or rules or decorum, two of the legislators were ejected from the body and the one was saved by literally one vote and what's very striking is of course the legislators who were summarily ejected turned out to be young black men two men named Justin Justin Jones and Justin Pearson and Miss Johnson who was a older white woman uh, kept her seat by one vote and, of course, everyone is looking at this as a extraordinary, blatant example, which I never thought I would live to see in the 21st century, of Southern racism. And that has been part of the discussion ever since these events went down. All of which brings us to the ultimate irony of the week. This is the anniversary, the anniversary week on April 4th of the assassination of of um, MLK and it was just so astonishing that these events would basically converge in a way that uh, is very hard to understand if one sees these things as kind of separate events. In fact, they are not. I believe and I'm going to argue tonight that there is a very definite linkage between the anniversary of Martin Luther King's death, and a number of the developments we're seeing in disparate parts of the nation in that same time period. Um, There's something else which has occurred. Ever since the uh, overthrow of Roe v. Wade, which of course goes to the US Supreme Court in Washington, women have been extraordinarily apprehensive of another suit filed in, in Texas, with a Texas district judge which would have the effect of limiting uh, and prescribing and eliminating the availability of a medical uh, abortion pill uh, on the open market. Um, and that, of course, came to a head also in this remarkable political week of major new developments on a range of critical cutting-edge political issues and this this drug which is kind of the um uh after uh, you know uh after hours or after morning or early morning pill as it's called in some places is now the objective of two dueling federal rulings because simultaneous with the texas judge declaring that the fda has seven days to support the claim of the litigants, in his case, that the that the uh, drug is not safe, even though it's been on the market in the U.S. for 20 plus years, and in the market in Europe for over 40, going now almost on 50 years. Another federal judge also filed a ruling within hours, in from the state of Washington, basically mandating under law that the FDA cannot forbid sale of this drug nationwide, even in states that are uh, um, you know, blue states, so-called, where abortion is legal and still permitted. <clears throat> That's all happened in this one week. And last but not least, um, attention and now turn to Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, who it turns out from a brilliant and very deep investigative piece in ProPublica, Which is my item number six. The Clarence Thomas has been secretly accepting extraordinarily high priced gifts and luxury trips and uh, resort lodgings for like the last 20 years, and since 2004, has not reported, per federal law, either the existence or the dollar amount of these extraordinary gifts. One, for example, if you looked at the whole package, which was airfare and then the resort and then the luxury yacht all involved, would have cost him about half a million dollars, and he did not report it. Under normal ethics, such extraordinary largesse to nine, one of nine people sitting on the Supreme Court of the United States, if there is supposed to be accountability of what our legislators, what our executive and our judicial branch are doing, and the influences that come in from the general public, those disclosures are supposed to be de rigueur. All of which, Rick, took place in the time frame where you said rather... Delicately, something major could be coming. Rick? I'm here. Go ahead.
2: Well, okay. That's uh, a great introduction. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's rare from an astrological perspective to see so much change in a short period of time and let me just back up a half a step for those people who are listening who are not familiar with real astrology versus uh, you know Sun sign or horoscope astrology like in, in newspapers what an astrologer looks at is the geometric relationship between the orbiting planets based upon uh, geometry, sacred geometry, if you will, and also looks at these planets. Um, and, I, and when I say planets, I mean the the known planets, but all objects moving around in the sky, in the sense of the Greek word "planeta" means a wanderer, and so anything that moves in the sky is fair game for astrologers to watch. Now when planets change signs and there are 12 signs in astrology based upon dividing a circle or a cycle into quarters and thirds and then four times three quarters and thirds turn out to be 12 and when planets change signs meaning their geometry to the starting point which is a mathematical point that's derived um every year by the vernal equinox and astrologers refer to that point as zero degrees of Aries. When planets change signs, they're making angles to this very important point in the sky, because as we know, a circle has neither a beginning nor end, but we arbitrarily use um, the first moment of spring um, or the sun's movement into the sign of Aries um, as the beginning of the cycle. So, The rule of thumb in astrology is that the slower moving the planet, um, the stronger and more powerful uh, the tangential energy is, the energy is as it changes signs. And for example... Run
0: run, run that by me again because you just triggered something very interesting. That because
2: the planets move in cycles, they form... Um, actually, what Newton referred to as tangential gravity. It's not something it's a, it's the 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 force of the um, 90 degree angle formed by the movement of the planet around the center point around the sun. right. And so as as the planets are moving around in circles, um, they they form a, a a force, if you will. And when a planet changes signs, um, the faster moving planets, and again, when I use the word planet, I'm including anything um, that appears to move, including the sun and the moon and and, and Pluto, which um, astronomers have dismissed as a planet, but we astrologers do not care about th- those okay. definitions. And so when we look at, for example, the planet Saturn, which takes about 29 and a half years to move through the zodiac to make a complete orbit, apparently, um, around the Sun from Earth's point of view. That means that the planet Saturn takes about two and a half years to move through each sign. And when Saturn moves into a new sign, it always brings with it new, new issues. But that happens every two and a half years. When we look at the slowest moving of the planets that astrologers use regularly, that would be Pluto which is um, a 248-year cycle. And that means because of Pluto's very um, elliptical orbit, Pluto moves faster when it's closer to the sun and slower as all planets do when it's farther away from the sun. And right now it's taking Pluto... um, Uh, Well, it took Pluto 15 years to move through the last sign that it was in, Capricorn, we'll have more to say about that in a moment. And Pluto, in March, uh, entered a new sign into the sign of Aquarius. In March, Saturn entered a new sign also, it moved uh, from Aquarius into Pisces. For both of these changes to happen within a couple of weeks of one another, um, is very significant for a number of reasons. And although there's more mm, technical astrology that I did and um, and could lean on, the fact that Saturn and Pluto both changed signs um, in March was the first clue that most astrologers have had. And what I'm talking about is something that most educated astrologers um, were, was ta- were talking about back in January, February, you know, and even the beginning of March of this year, and that is because Saturn and Pluto are um, both changed signs last month in March, um, Saturn toward the middle of the month, and uh, Pluto toward the very end of the month. Everyone that I know who, um, who does, who studies astrology for real, um, has held the same position, and that is that by the end of March and beginning of April, it would be a new ball game. There would be new territory.
0: <laughs> well, and, you guys uh, called it, but were you able to get anywhere near the specifics? I mean, the litany I read <clears throat> is like an eruption at all levels of at a fundamental force, a morality of right versus wrong.
2: Yeah. Yes. And and um, you know, specific. It's been said by modern astrologers. That astrology is not specifically predictive, but is archetypally predictive. And from that standpoint, yes, astrologers have been talking about um, very similar things on an archetypal or energetic level. Um, let's just stick with Pluto for a moment as an example. But before I, I talk about that, there is one additional thing that is very significant, and that has to do with something that astrologers call planetary returns. Ah. Now, planetary returns or the return of an orbiting uh, um, object to to a point where it was is something that we on planet Earth celebrate all the time. Every time someone celebrates their birthday, Mm -hmm. from an astrological point of view, this is a solar return. It's when the sun appears to be back in the same place in the sky as it was on our birthday because as we know from Earth's point of view, although our calendars are slightly sloppy, every year within a day on either side, the sun looks like it's in the same place as it was exactly one year ago because really it's the Earth that's gone around the sun in a year. Now, when a planet returns to where it was um, at some major event like our birth, this is always the end and beginning. Um, it's like the Alpha Omega, it's like the turning point, um, it's like the energy in effect of a new moon where one cycle ends and then the next lunar cycle begins. Well, it turns out that um, in this year, and I say this year, this is a little bit wider than just March. But in 2022, 23, 24, and I'll explain why it's a spread over a few years, the planet Pluto, which NASA tells us is a 248-year cycle, actually is at its point of return. It's like a super birthday. The United States of America is experiencing its Pluto return. We celebrate its solar return every year on July 4th. Well,
0: that's going to happen next year because it's 248- and this is 247. In uh,
2: the- uh, 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 uh. No? That is correct, except for this one little annoying factor, and that is the um, procession, uh, what's called the, the procession of the equinox, which actually makes the planets appear um, separately to move backward um, um, one degree every 72 years. Right. And so when you go to map the actual planet Pluto, it was last year – when Pluto actually looks like it returned to where it was, and we work on this visual phenomenon, oh. that's why I'm giving this. That's why I'm giving this a two-year spread, because the the uh, the tropical, and that is the um, the way of measuring that takes the precession into consideration, that occurred last year and the beginning of this year. Um, But from a sidereal, meaning from an actual uh, mapping against the fixed stars, it doesn't occur for another year and a half.
0: Ah, okay. Hold on. Hold on. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Rick Levine, among many. And we are at the bottom of the hour. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. I kind of thought it was appropriate that we maybe play an oldie tonight in honor of uh, Martin Luther King and the others this is abraham martin and john
3: atnight.com. tune in to listen to Richard C. Hodland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. listen to past episodes anytime on any device other side of midnight.com.
0: Welcome back everyone. Yeah, this is really a remarkable week and I want to get to Rick uh, in a moment, but I did forget one person in my run-up because I was kind of mixing and matching. Robert Morningstar, who as you all know, is a uh, absolutely steadfast uh, devotee and follower of the ex-president has also joined us and I'm sure he will have some very interesting comments when we get to that part of the morning. So, Rick, back to you. Yes. So, um so
2: the reason why um last month when when I was on the show, I had said that the end of March and beginning of April by the time we got to um to to April, uh that we would be in a different a different territory. Now, the thing is that the movement of Pluto from Capricorn to Aquarius is incredibly interesting um, with what's going on, um, what you described, Richard, and some other things that are also part of the same uh, energetic switch. And that is that Pluto archetypally, it's the the Lord of the underworld. It's about, it's everything that's not on the surface, everything that's unconscious, it's everything that's underground, interestingly, I, um, historically, um, massive wealth was found underground. It wasn't about the currency, you know, of a particular state. It was the person who owned the copper mine, the gold mine, the silver mine, the diamond mine, uh, the tin mine. These, th- this was wh- this was wealth. And it turns out that the word plutocracy, which our government in the United States is is basically a government by the very wealthy, and the power of these people, like Pluto, is often underground or or hidden. It's not ah. what appears to be on the surface. Now, Pluto's job as it moves through the zodiac, as it exists in each and any one of our charts, um, Pluto's job is, it, well, on the surface, it's death and rebirth. What it really is about is deconstruction, reconstruction. Um, when Nietzsche, in *Thus Spoke Zarathustra*, um, wrote about what he called the Overman, which was misinterpreted, certainly by um, Hitler and the um, and the Overmench of of Germany. Um, is this idea that there is that man is not an endpoint of uh, or humanity is not the endpoint of of evolution? It's a middle point between something that it was
0: and something that it's becoming. And as kind of sounds Nietzschean. Man, no, it is. It, man it is, is on the way from something primitive to Superman.
2: Exactly, it's a Nietzschean concept, um, and the idea. That Pluto's job, in in a way, it's the planet of nihilism, meaning that it takes those things that are the most important, uh, uh, the highest on the mountain, and it deconstructs them so that they reconstruct at the bottom and then work their way back up. Um, the idea in the you know um, in the in the early 20th century, the philosophical idea of radical theology, God is dead, is a good example of this Plutonic concept um, of nihilism, of the most important values, basically deconstructing and then and then being reconstructed. So where Pluto is by sign denotes where Pluto is doing its work at deconstruction, reconstruction. And for the last 15, 16 years, Pluto has been moving through the sign of Capricorn, which is about um, the structures that are um, the most stable. Uh, in other words, Capricorn as a sign of the Zodiac archetypally is connected with, oh, banking and government um, and the stability of like like roads and things of that sort that well, wait, are... Wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. Did I forget to mention the Silicon Valley Bank meltdown? Yes, you 250 did. $250 billion. It's not in this last week. It was within a window of another couple of weeks, so this whole March, yes. I mean March Madness this year was very appropriately named.
2: Yeah, and <laughs> and actually that that meltdown of the Silicon Valley bank happened within a day of Pluto moving from from Capricorn into Aquarius. And interesting, wow, when Pluto when Pluto moved from. Sagittarius into Capricorn. That was right at the time of the 2008 real estate um, uh, meltdown. Um, you know, so the, it's so the banking system is certainly part of this. But it's more than that. What is the most fundamental structure of the United States? It's the Constitution. And we've seen as Pluto moves through Capricorn, we've seen those things that we thought were the most stable in government, especially in the um, tenure of uh, 45, um, we've seen those things that we thought were immutable and stable all be messed with. Everything that was structurally The way it was all began to change and as pluto moves into aquarius um what is aquarius about aquarius is about social structure and and the most important thing to understand here is that when pluto last moved from capricorn to aquarius that was in the years between the declaration of independence and the Constitution, um, and, in fact, the French Revolution. Those all the French Revolution and the Constitution of the United States, um Pluto has made the transition from Capricorn into Aquarius. But it was like the Declaration of Independence and what was going on in the years prior was the beginning of the deconstruction of the stability of the society that became the United States. Now, the important thing to understand here is that when a planet returns to where it was when, when it was born, and make no mistake about it, the United States was born like any other country, and the United States was born um, some people say, most people say, with the Declaration of Independence, but really, on a deeper level, it was born um, after the American Revolutionary War, um, or in England, they call it the War Against England, the King George War. Um, that um, that, in fact, the other birth of the United States is the Constitution, um, and so these two points have to do with what we're going through now as Pluto returns to where it was and this idea of a second American revolution, um, whether it become armed or whether it's strictly in the realm of information, um, is something that will play out more. Now there's one other thing aside from the things that you mentioned that went down in March and the bank failure, which is probably a bigger deal than we're seeing it on the surface right now. But the other thing is the coming into um, public consciousness um, of artificial intelligence. It's like exploded. It's been around, um, you know, but all of a sudden it's in our face. And Pluto, as it moves into Aquarius, will thrust us into the future and give us, in effect, a new order and a new awareness because Aquarius is the sign of technology. It's the sign of Futuristic. It's the sign of of the um, highest levels of consciousness that are not about what I think or what you, Richard, think. It's about the consciousness of of the network. Here we're talking about humanity, or or perhaps even the World Wide Web, if we want to look at it in in that fashion. But the point here is that. Pluto is going to, over the next 20 years, because it's slowing down and it will remain in Aquarius for 20 years, will create a complete deconstruction and reconstruction of those things that have to do with humanity. And it's my um, intention, Richard, that um, that one of the things that will we will see is that by the time Pluto is finished moving through Aquarius, and we've seen the inklings of this, which you also left off, and that is the whole concept of what we that what falls under um, what we call disclosure. That by as Pluto moves through Aquarius, we will learn who we are, where we came from, and what the big picture is. That right now is completely, as many of us know, hidden from us. So this is the background of what it is that's changed, but there's one other thing I wanna mention before I give up the mic, and I could go on about this for a (laughs) long time, but I won't. And that other thing is that because all the planets, all the real planets, because of their orbits, create what's called retrograde motion um they don't really go backwards but because of the earth's orbit within their or you know um compared to their orbit um all the quote unquote real planets mercury um venus mars jupiter saturn uranus neptune and pluto all appear to go backward what that means is that although in march pluto moved into aquarius by june pluto will have retrograded and be back into those last degrees of Capricorn, it will move back into Aquarius early 2024, back into Capricorn again for a couple of months, and it won't be till the end of 2024 when Pluto is actually really seated in Aquarius. So we are in a very dynamic and unstable and changing period of time as Pluto makes this transition. And what that means is that Pluto ain't done with its deconstruction of all the structures that I talked about earlier, um, including the government, including elections, including the stability of what we think is up there or out there in the U.S. government, and also the banking system.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. Um, I'm not quite sure where to go. I'll tell you what, I, I want to call on Robert because...
2: Yeah, Robert. Yeah, I'll... I'll- I wanna sit back and let others talk.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I wanna call on Robert. Mr. Morningstar, you are with us, right? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, Robert is what we call a civilian intelligence analyst. He has all kinds of talents and and expertise ranging from imaging to forensic analysis to historical research. Um, He's a member of the maritime generation (laughs) <laughs> and has and yes. it been an avid Trump supporter? I want from you, as a Trump supporter, the big picture you see in terms of the ex-president's historic first indictment in 247 years.
4: Oh, I'll be happy to give you that. <clears throat> first of all, I'd like to say I'm glad the show is this week and not last week. Because last week it would have all been uh, speculation and uh, premature expostulation.
0: Well, as a, I'd like to say, a, 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 on, as on. we always say, you know, God works in mysterious ways, yes, His does. wonders to he, perform. So,
4: and the reason I couldn't make it last week is that tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock I am going to broadcast the most important interview that I have ever done in my life when I interview the man who shot John F. Kennedy from the grassy knoll and killed him with a grievous head wound. That's why I couldn't be here last week. So tomorrow at 3 o'clock on revolution.radio in Studio A, you can hear me interview the man who's making a live on-the-air confession because he's near the end of his life. He does not have much time to live. He's had a conversion. And uh, it is appropriate that tonight, Saturday, holy Saturday before Easter Sunday it is a a night in Christendom that's called the harrowing of hell this is the night when Jesus descended into hell and opened up the gates and freed the souls that had been there locked up since the beginning of time all the prophets all the judges all the kings all the good people had been locked up in purgatory limbo and the others waiting for the unpearly un- gates. So I'd like to dedicate this uh, dissertation to Pro Christo Rege. That's the motto of my high school power memorial academy. That said, I would like to say I'm very happy to see President President Trump in- indicted because by breaking that precedent, it opens the avenue for indicting other.
0: Oh, what an interesting concept, Robert, because you and I, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. so tired of all these pundits say, oh, this is the most terrible time in history, mm-hmm. this is a tragedy, this is... It. I think of it as a high point in the 247-year evolution of the Constitution, Absolutely. which as Absolutely. a unique document guarantees to Donald Trump like it is supposed to guarantee to every other citizen, and we know that's not true primarily because of money it guarantees him the right to a fair and open trial of all the assembled evidence against Mm -hmm. him in the indictment and i am looking forward intensely to the american people and by metonymy you know anybody in the world that wants to know how democracy should really function because as we go through this process and we know from the get-go that the biggest impediment to a fair trial and and appropriate jurisprudence is the inequality of the state and most ordinary defendants because of money because of funding and public defenders are so overwhelmed and the budgets for investigation etc so when you are indicted for a crime in the united states if you do not have funds you do not get appropriate justice. Now, the degree degree to which that imbalance exists is completely eliminated in this tour de force case where a former president is proving by the Constitution that no man or woman is above the law. And as we go through the process, which probably will take in the Manhattan case until the next election in 2024 the manhattan right. case will probably not reach the courtroom it will show us a road map for how the american legal system is performing and areas where it could certainly be performing better so it's interesting and that's one of the reasons i wanted to have you on robert you and i have such divergent Points of view on Trump, except in yep. this case, we're both in agreement. This is the best thing that could right. have happened well, to the why. country.
4: Let me tell you why I think it's a good thing. First of all, let me address the charges. I'm reading this political article that you uh, included well, in your. I, I, well, hang on, Robert. Wait, 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 wait. Robert. Richard, Robert. Robert. Robert, Robert.
0: I don't want to get into the specifics because they're oh, almost, no, 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 they're almost no, irrelevant can't do that, They're Richard. almost irrelevant. I they're, wanted, are false,
4: they're falsehoods in
0: that political That is article. your opinion, and that's a no, trial. No, This is that, the laws
4: of New York State. No, they're is saying this? that those 34 charges are felonies. They are all misdemeanors. They are all the misdemeanors, and misdemeanors have unless a they are
0: Unless they statute are committed, unless years. they two are committed, we can't talk people. over each other, come on, Unless they are okay. committed in service to another crime, which is a felony, and then they those are not charges... felonies.
4: They are misdemeanors. There's a two-year statute of limitation on misdemeanors. There's a five-year statute of limitation on felonies. Bragg has no jurisdiction Do over federal. Do you law.
0: understand why and the... the federal election commission Robert, has that there's no crime Robert, committed? Robert, Robert, we're not here to argue the specifics that's what a trial is for you want to
4: be nebulous what are you what he's talking about specifics is everything
0: not when it comes to the overarching idea of what this indictment of a former president and the result of the rest of the process will do to our society it doesn't matter what he's accused of he's innocent until proven proven guilty. Now let me tell you why
4: why I'm happy that this protocol has been broken, because we have had many criminal presidents, and by breaking this protocol or this precedent, those other criminal presidents can be brought to trial, including George W. Bush for the lies of 9-11 and for the falsehoods that got us into the second Iraq War, and Barack Obama for establishing ISIS. Barack Obama made ISIS a reality. He ordered the Department of Defense to supply arms in Syria to create a Salafist principality. Robert, we're I not going. Stuff. We're it's not going to go
0: through indictments tonight on the show. I want to oh, have a made, bigger I picture. I agree <laughs> oh, okay. with you. There okay. are several presidents in our prior history who yes. should who should come under the careful scrutiny. Of the Absolutely. legal process. That's why I'm rejoicing that. This but we're thing not is going ha- to solve that tonight. All right. I, 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 given that we now have your position, and in fact I agree with it, I want to move yeah. on to Marvin. Marvin, are are you with us? Okay. Very good. I, I am here, Richard. Excellent. The reason I called Marvin up and I said I want you to look at the founders, the Constitution, and I want you to come up with some rationale for back during the Nixon years, when Nixon controlled the Justice Department, they were able to create a document out of what's called the Office of Legal Counsel, where a sitting president cannot, even if he shoots someone on Fifth Avenue and they die. According to this legal theory, which is not in the Constitution, but is a legal interpretation from the Nixon White House, they cannot be indicted according to this legal theory. In which case, if a president, this president, the former president, any president commits an extraordinary, visibly heinous criminal act, according to this OLEC memo, they are supposed to sit back, stand by, stand back and do nothing and i find this almost criminally insane so marvin what did the founders envision in the way of the president is in fact no more or less than any other american
1: under the law you actually answered that uh with laying out how that uh Office of Legal Counsel memorandum is just that. It it is a policy guideline for the Department of Justice. That is all it is. It is not in the uh, a Constitution. And uh, very distinguished uh, constitutional. Uh, uh, professor, uh, lawrence Tribe has uh, spoken about, about that uh, saying that, uh, that policy guideline should be done away with. Uh, there is absolutely no reason why a citizen who at a particular time happens to live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, uh, should be treated, uh, any differently in regard to the law. One thing uh, in getting uh, prepared for tonight's program that stood out, out, out to me again was how, if nothing else, the framers were definitely opposed to monarchy. And and one of the attributes of of, of monarchy is is the idea that the king can do no wrong. That is something that's not made up by me. It is part of of English law, something that Blackstone goes into in uh, the commentaries on, on the laws of England. So... That uh, OLC memorandum is to emphasize, again, nothing more than a policy guideline for the Department of Justice, and it should be uh, torn up and and put in the trash can.
0: Do we have any idea on what legal theory this uh, Office of Legal Counsel memo was created? Because looking at it in hindsight, and given the documented efforts by the Trump administration, particularly Bill Barr— to manipulate the Constitution and the Department of Justice to basically aid and abet Trump in whatever he wanted to do, it seems to me that Nixon invisibly had some kind of influence, and he was working, you know, the the uh, the refs, kind of like Trump has done or did through Barr, but Trump, but uh, Nixon did it first, and that's how we came up with a me- with a memo. Which, on the face of it, makes no sense at all. And I'll tell you why. Why do we have a vice president? If a president is indicted mm-hmm. for some criminal act, wouldn't that be an appropriate time to bring in the vice president? And while the president goes to take care of legal problems, the vice president, who is kind of like the spare tire, Who's kind of like the guy that's supposed to be there to carry on policy? He just moves into the chair, and he assumes, you know, the presidency until the president is either in, you know, convicted or exonerated from whatever he was indicted for. I never understood the legal foundation for the OLC memo from the get-go. Well,
1: I agree with you, um, and something that. I kick my, myself over is that when all of this was going on uh, during the, the Nixon administration and, uh, Gerald Ford decided to, uh, issue the, the, the pardon. I, I, at that time had started uh, uh, doing some research, but the day that Ford issued the pardon was September 9th of uh, 1974 and that date sticks in my mind because that that was the day that I was uh, taking the uh, oath to uphold the Constitution ah. and so at that point I, I was preoccupied We were a little bit distracted doing, uh, <laughs> Yes, just, just, just a tad
0: Okay, we're coming up to the top of the hour which of course is a hard break. Why doesn't everybody kind of take a pause Thank you, Marvin. Thank you, Robert and Rick. And we will move on with this. Uh, I kind of thought it was appropriate, again, musically to background our theme tonight. Um, This is an oldie but a goodie. And I'll bet some of you actually remember it in honor of Rick Levine's uh, expose on how the physics of these alignments actually seem to work. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
4: You ready? Right. Let's make this the one. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Over and out.